Peter, Bruce, thank you both for, uh, for joining me today to speak about the uh, Canadian Flight Museum. Um, maybe start with both of you. How did you get involved in the museum? My name is Bruce Friesen. I'm, I'm the president of the Canadian Museum of Flight Association. That's who we are, a not-for-profit society that uh, has been in existence for over 40 years. How did I get involved? Uh, I retired to the left coast and I'm interested in airplanes, I'm interested in old stuff, so I thought I could uh, find a museum, airplane museum sounded good, and just come and polish airplanes. I, I'm gonna jump ahead and say what we have here is we have a museum and we've got an old boys social club. If we didn't have the social club, we wouldn't have the museum because we couldn't afford to operate. If we didn't have the museum, there'd be nothing for the old folks to do. Well, I was one of those old folks who came here because it was something to do, something that I thought was uh, valuable to society. And now here I am. <laughs> did you have a Did you have a background in in, in planes? What was the fascination with them? Uh, oh, just from being ten, eight, ten years old, I've been interested in airplanes. I do fly a sailplane. That's my sport. My background is airplanes. <laughs> I, uh, I was interested, he was 10, I started about 6 in Sudbury, where my, my dad would take me down to Lake Ramsey because I wanted to look at the airplanes. And uh, I was a graduate engineer, worked at Avro as I mentioned, and been in airplanes ever since. I finished working at Canadian Airlines and Air Canada, CPR, as a power plant engineer manager and lived in Tawasa in those days, mm. but uh, we decided to move out to Langley. So, well, there was a museum here. Well, maybe I can polish airplanes like Bruce. <laughs> anyway, suddenly I come to my as an alligators. We built those two soft with pups, took them over to Vimy. I was involved in that. And then uh, right now I've uh, somehow inherited the management of inventory, <laughs> which is humongous, and I have never done anything like this in my life, except, you know, I, I knew about spreadsheets and things like that. So, uh, we have a lot of airplane parts, and airplanes, and engines, and memorabilia, airline stuff, we've got uniforms, we've got instruments, goes on forever. How, how did the beginning of the collection. How did this come to be? It seems that when you walk through here, one of the one of the focuses is trying to pull out the stories of the various planes. Ideally, um, was that was that the impetus for the museum from the beginning, or was it more of a sort of technical museum to begin with? I, I think it's best to think in terms of three phases. Hmm. So back in the nineteen seventies, a small group of friends became concerned that uh, Canada's aviation heritage was disappearing, rusting away or uh, being uh, purchased and shipped off to the United States, such that we'd be left with nothing. So the first phase of this uh, organization, the first 10 years or so, was a bunch of guys uh, grabbing stuff. They had a property on Crescent Road belonged to one of the founders and they just 
grabbed stuff wherever they could get it and piled it up on that property. They had some old farm outbuildings that they used. They did a little bit of restoration. I think at that time, originally they had uh, half a dozen open days a year and then moved to having one day a week open to the public. But their primary focus was on uh, preserving heritage. And they did an outstanding job of it. I could talk at length. There's one aircraft out there, World War II jet fighter, the Vampire, uh, retired from the Canadian Air Force. Well, somebody purchased it and was using it as his private executive jet. Like to joke that on the drop tank it said Bob's Pumps. It didn't actually say Bob's Pumps. It actually said something like Frank's Hydraulics and Specialist Machinery. And he used it to fly to the three or four production facilities he had around the U.S. Midwest. Got tired of it, pushed it into the weeds in Chicago. Well, guys from here grabbed a truck, grabbed a trailer, drove all the way to Chicago, piled this airplane on the trailer and hauled it back and we are just so fortunate to have that airframe. So that was the first phase. The second phase, um, the uh, property they had in Crescent Road was uh, purchased by the city and they were looking around for home, looking around for home. So the, the second phase would have been getting established on this site. Huge amount of work. The third phase is closer to what you were imagining is, okay, now we're here, we're settled. Uh, what are we for? How are we useful to the public? And definitely, uh, one answer is, as you say, telling stories. Um, telling other people's stories because they like to have their stories told. Telling stories because it's useful to society for people to know the stories behind their society. The second thing we're doing here is, uh, I, I use two words, education and inspiration. We, we think there's so many young people these days who uh, don't get a lot of contact with, well, the buzzword is STEM, science and technology, engineering, math, design. So we figure there's nothing better for getting a young person excited about the concept of designing something these amazingly beautiful objects out in there. Inspiration and then in a more formal sense, education. <clears throat> when, did, when did that focus start to come into view for you as, a, as, a, as an object to try and achieve? You know, to be frank, COVID was a big push yeah. to everybody. We had to think, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, I should have said what I'm saying, three phases. Uh, we fly aircraft. Mm -hmm. We justify it by saying we're reaching out. So this inspiration and this storytelling, we don't rely totally on people just coming to our four walls. We, we go where they are, mm -hmm. to air shows, airport days, schools, legion halls. We fly and we have uh, one aircraft and soon to be two that uh, can travel in a trailer and go. So. Certainly through the, my first few years here, a considerable portion of the total time and energy around here was invested in being able to 
uh, take an old airplane someplace else. Uh, it's not easy. You have to maintain the thing. You have to have pilots uh, safe to fly in it, and uh, you have to have the money to do it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you were mentioning the uh, the trip down to Chicago, which um, I'm assuming is a pre-internet period, uh, yeah. which begs the question: What kind of network uh, allow informs people of a of a plane in, in Chicago? Uh, how, how does that? How, how did that also get set up? The uh, prime move for this place, a fellow by the name of Ed Zaleski. Mm member number one, one of the four founders. He was in that business, wheeling and dealing airplanes. What was his outfit called? The Airplane Supply Company? Or something, something like that, yeah. I, before my time, but he was a pusher and got it going, really. Mm -hmm. So he and yeah, was, it was a lot of effort, yeah. you know. So he, he was flipping aircraft. And a lot of the people involved with this museum we're not 100% comfortable. But on the other hand, it was extremely effective. So he might have some airframe, and there'd be some very historic airframe, and he would flip them between his business, and he'd, he'd get the historic airframe, and then he'd sell it to the museum, or give it to the museum for a tax. He, he was wheeler dealer, and that's where a lot of this stuff came from. So he had his ear to the ground, but, other things they did, there's a fellow that's, um, he was member number seven. He's been bane of Peter's life because he keeps bringing stuff. He's <laughs> up to 90 pieces of uh, airplane. <laughs> that doesn't count the documentation that Bruce takes care of. <laughs> 90 and counting. That individual, he was in his 20s at the time, and some other folks spent hundreds of hours poring over World War II crash reports and trying to uh, locate airframes on the sides of mountains. And if they thought they knew where it was, they would go up and take a look. And if it was worth the effort, a team would go and drag the thing down off the mountain. So um, connections within the air aviation community, huge amount of research, and uh, just a lot of really hard work. I mean, I mentioned a trip to Chicago. Several of our airframes came from Alberta. Hmm. Uh, Peter's the expert on the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan. <laughs> they were all over the prairies. Unfortunately, a lot of them were made of wood. And uh, so when you go to scavenge a site that a wooden airplane crashed, you get racks and pieces of metal, but the wood's Pretty well gone. So we've got a wooden airplane, but it's got no wings. <laughs> got the fuselage, the nose, the tail, all wood, but no wings. Would you say that there's a there's been a, a kind of a period where there was a, a great deal of uh, items added to the collection, and or is it something that you're consistently adding more? Uh, well, we're a lot of the. Stuff was Bruce said we had this one individual collect the stuff by scouring around what any uh, accent sense. Uh, a lot of the other stuff is uh, memorabilia that uh, people that worked in the airline uh, brought, bring things in, which dealt with Canadian Airlines or CP Air or Award Air, things like that. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's uh, things like instruments and so forth. 
Sometimes it's clothing, uh, uniforms. It's all aircraft related, and we collect it as much as we can. Yeah. yeah. You just finished up that, that that exhibition up there to do with the the whole training program. Um, how do you go about building an exhibition for the Canadian <laughs> Flight Museum? Well, uh, first of all, we say. British Comrade, should we have a display like that or look at it? Yes, we should, because it was significant to Canadian's effort in World War II. So then uh, uh, you start researching it, and you get books and articles written about it, and you pour over them and get statistics and everything, uh, and you start putting a project together, and then you look for uh, articles which are appropriate to the program. Uh, and uh, they start with little models, and then we've got two or three or four airplanes that actually took part in the training program. Real airplanes, full scale, and uh, so they're basically part of it. Uh, and engines that we had, which may be part of it as well. These aircraft had uh, British engines or American engines. Uh, we've got examples of those. So we can put all this stuff together and form it up and make a story. It's got to have a story. And it's got to relate to what people can understand. So we uh, put those storyboards together. Uh, each board carries a little part in the program. And that goes for almost anything that we put on as a display here. Uh, we're, we're trying to uh, record BC's position in the aviation industry going back in time. Uh, but a lot of the people coming here, they've got no concept of the history of the thing. And uh, part of our outreach program is to outreach to school children. Uh, to present some of this stuff so they can understand it. And it's a good challenge for us because you can talk to um, eight and ten-year-olds, but if you're presenting it to um, teenagers, it's an entirely different story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we have to consider that as well. Yeah, we, we tend to focus on the big airplanes, that, or the, the, that's the <laughs> big fleets. Uh, so Tiger Moss, every pilot had to be, learn how to fly on a Tiger Moss. Mm -hmm. and, and then... Uh, Navigators, uh, they had to have flying Ansons, and the bomb aimers had to fly an Anson. So we, you know, those are big fleets of airplanes. And the Canadian industry suddenly were building um, Tiger Moss and uh, Cornells and Ansons and um, uh, Harvards in Canada, and that's part of the story as well. So. Mm -hmm. Coming at your question from a different direction, uh, added to, to what Peter said. We do not have a strategic plan for displays. We have a uh, chosen topic for calendar year 2021. We do not have a five-year plan. Obviously, we could, but we don't. But I want, I want to come back to uh, your question about uh, stuff coming. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I had an epiphany just, just this week, I was thinking that you know, most of the stuff had been collected years ago and I was just kind of, I've been around here for 10 years and I started looking around at the hangar and I started, well that wasn't there when I came, that wasn't there, that wasn't there. So actually things do come and I'm confident, Peter's confident, that if we had more roof area to take care of stuff, and that was known, we would get tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. What are some thoughts as to how to raise awareness of 
more more coverage to be able to expand the collection and care for some of these planes. First, Carmen is a site with a long-term lease. We don't have one. So right now, we're quite constrained. Um, we've been keen to launch a major capital fundraising campaign for years now. I, I could give you some of the blow by blow sad story. It's not a sad story. It's a real world story mm. that we are where we are. Uh, but certainly I for one feel very strongly that we will not press go on a capital fundraising campaign until we have a story to tell. Right. And right now we don't because we can't leave the glossy brochure saying we've just secured long-term tenure on this piece of land and we've got this and we've got that so collectively all we need is some money, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this, you, know, we, we, you mentioned uh, uh, communicating and, and uh, AV sort of talk of packing to uh, museums and yes, we're very much aware of that. We should be doing something about that. It does cost money but it makes your product so much more reachable to the public. And uh, that's what all—that's the way the world is going right now. And uh, we have to figure out somehow to come up with the same stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are some of the what are some of the blind spots in the collection? What you know, you're talking about some items that uh, you wish you had in there. What's important to the to the story <laughs> that you're that you're on the lookout for? <laughs> uh, well, we're, again, it's partly your money. Uh, yeah, you—the big thing that. Kids want to come and look at it as a real airplane. Look, that's a real airplane. And you, they can stand at that fence and the airplanes are going right by them. They can't do that when their moms take them to Toronto on a big jet. It's not the same. So yeah, we, we want to have real airplanes. Some of our airplanes are replicas. They may fly. Uh, some are scale. Uh, we've got lots of models for the toys. Uh, kids like them. So yeah, we have lots of models around. but. For us volunteers, getting our teeth into something positive like a real airplane, hmm. it, it's, it's the challenge. Which would and be yeah, the... And, and how do you do that? Well, uh, it's getting more and more difficult all the time because uh, there's more and more people looking around for stuff like this and basically it's a big money game, hmm. a really big money game. Yeah. Uh, you want a mosquito? Would you like a used one or a real one? Do you want to fly it or do you want to have it there to look at? So are people collect their their sort of They're private collections. They're them from scratch. Oh wow! Bring money. Wow. <laughs> you want to have a Rolls Royce engines in it? What's the price of restoring an old Rolls Royce engine now? Well, it's a lot of money. We sold a Hawker Hurricane data plate. It was attached to a bunch of twisted metal, but what the guy bought was the data plate, and he's building a hurricane. <laughs> it, again, it comes back to this uh, touchstone of stories. What stories do we want to tell? And there are definitely stories that we, as BC Aviation Museum, ought to be telling better. There's some stories we're very good at telling, and uh, we have ample. Uh, reference material for those stories in, in the airframe we have. The uh, stories I'd like to tell better are uh, bush flying. Uh, 
We own the perfect example of a bush plant, a northern Norseman. It's in a sea cam waiting for restoration, but uh, if I was to list the aircraft I would most want, it would be a de Havilland Beaver. Second story we could tell better, and it's a BC story, is uh, aerial suppression of fire. Mm -hmm. a, uh, people in British Columbia have done as much to advance aerial firefighting and forest management as anybody in the world. Uh, air spray in Alberta might disagree. But if you say BC in Alberta, you're definitely going to center and center of excellence. So uh, we got the fire cap down at the end of the runway there. Uh, what we ought to have is a couple of helicopters. Yep. That uh, could tell the story of uh, uh, fire suppression, uh, search and rescue, search and rescue, yeah. forest management. There's yeah. no end of things we could. And that's, we're just a museum to look at airplanes, but more than that, you've got to have a story to back them up. And it's part of Canadian history, that story. Do you have a paper archives element to this museum, or is it mostly the, is it mostly the replicas? We have uh, lots of stuff. Uh, we have an extensive collection of aviation art. We have a lot of uniforms, both civilian and military. In the library, we have uh, technical resources. We have a lot of uh, manuals in that. I bet. How to repair aircraft going back to the 30s, even the 20s. And we have uh, all sorts of uh, ephemera Peters, as it is. <laughs> may, may I tell you a story, Spencer? Please. It has to do with that box. Mm -hmm. You would never guess what's in that box. We've got a relationship going with some folks in Montreal. Uh, they operate a website called Aviologs, A-V-I-A-L-O-G-S. They take the sorts of old manuals that we have in our technical resources library and they scan them, digitize them, make them available. It's on a subscription basis. Uh, typical for that sort of thing, there's limited access for free and then if you want to do more, it's only 33 bucks a year. One of the things I've been doing is I go through the uh, library holdings, and I'm trying to clean them up a little bit. Uh, if I have two identical documents, like say it's a Douglas DC-3 uh, parts manual from 1943, revised October 1944. If I've got two that are identical, one goes off to Abulogs and they scan it. So that's just by way of background. That group in Montreal is contemplating restoration of a particular airframe from the 1930s. They're interested in it because it was manufactured in Montreal. Uh, they know where to get one in the Yukon. They're trying to convince the current owner that they are an appropriate resting ground for this historic airframe. And they approached us and said, do you have any uh, materials on Fairchild 82, like parts manual, or owner manual, flight manual, or whatever? And we said, well, yeah, actually, sure, we do. We've got a couple things. But you may be interested to know, we also have 
a complete set of original factory blueprints for a Fairchild 82. That's what's in that box. It's supposed to go off to Montreal. And, and how, how did you come into the possession of it? Was it something that came in through a... Uh, what was the story with that, that item? Random motion. Right. So an airframe manufacturer in Montreal, corporate acquisition, they bought out so many citizens. We're never going to build one of these. And not only that, there aren't any left. Nobody cares. And these blueprints went out to the dumpster. Right. After work, somebody went out to the dumpster, pulled them back out. How they got from Montreal to Vancouver, actually, I don't know. But they were here. Yeah. And it's not the only example. So, in the one sense, we're a Mickey Mouse little outfit that uh, doesn't know how to really, you know, we, we don't have professional curatorial skills. It's difficult for us to make known what we have. We're, we're trying, we're trying to get better. But on the other hand, we have a lot of neat stuff. Stuff that uh, doesn't exist anyplace else. I had somebody come in with a photograph the other day. Every book published about the arrow, the day they rolled it out of the factory, there's a, a photograph of a crowd and the arrow and that. Somebody came in with a photograph and it looked exactly like that. And I thought, oh, no. Everybody's seen that. I went and looked at the books on the arrow arrow and it's a different image. It may be the only one in the world. The photographer, you know, click, 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 and they, they might be 10 minutes apart, yeah. but it's unique. Interesting. Interesting. So we, it's just stuff comes. Yeah. Are there, are, are there researchers that consult your, the, the materials you have? You, you mentioned this group in Quebec. Do, do you yeah. have research projects that you're actively uh, aiding in the development of? A little bit. There could be more. We, we, we're going to make better use of the internet. Uh, making known more widely what we have. Uh, we like if, if somebody looks at they, they like a part that we have, and we have to decide do we keep it because we may need it someday, or can we trade for it because they have something we want? And uh, that's where we start from trading and knowing people and who's got what. You, you just never know. But that sort of brings you back around to the, where you started out. Uh, how did we get started? By guys realizing that a lot of the stuff in Canada was disappearing down in the United States mm. and we had to put a stop to it. Mm. Uh, so that's how our guys got started. And uh, today, if uh, you have a vintage aircraft in Canada and put it up for sale, you can bet that the biggest, biggest money is going to come from the United States because they've just got so much of it. And there's a mosquito and a Spitfire available or were available in Montreal, in uh, Vancouver. And I haven't heard what happened to them, but... Uh, what are some of your... You're mentioning the exhibition that you may be putting together in the, in the coming months and years of, of women in aviation? This, this year. This year? 2021 is allocated to women in aviation, yes. Mm -hmm. So we have a committee. Yeah doing uh, research and uh, display prototype development. Uh, that's as formal as we get, Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are some of your hopes and aspirations for the, for the museum? And you know, well, we as a board, 
are in the midst of a strategy process. Um, we think we will be given the opportunity, offered uh, an opportunity here at Langley Airport. So we're not uh, we're not super scared of being without options. But as a board, obviously, we think it's our fiduciary responsibility to the collection and the membership to look at other options. So we're in the process of looking at options. So what would we see as uh, important in that? The, I talked about how proud we are that we fly, so we want to be at an airport. Um, but going forward, like acquiring stuff, I think is easy. I think we could acquire more and more stuff. Uh, if we had a roof to put it under. My hangover pit metals has six airframes in it. Um, we think probably the most important for us going forward is partnerships. And uh, that would mean uh, with the educational side, with trades development, the inspiration of young people, and then through into, if we had connections with an organization that uh, needed tradespeople and was funding trades uh, workforce development while then the younger people could see a path. So partnerships would be really high on yeah. our list. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit different in that uh, uh, we're a museum that has a very varied amount of stuff to look at. And how do we relate that to young people to inspire them? And that's where the stories come in and that's where the uh, outreach goes to the schools and what we can show them and that can they come in here and we do things with them. Uh, and that's one of our future things to do. <laughs> it's not easy to you can think about it and talk about it, but it takes effort and manpower to do, to achieve. Yeah. So historically we have, this is not new, uh, we have had partnerships with local school boards, air cadets, uh, we actually were hosting an Air Cadet Squadron in this uh, facility for a while because they got evicted from where they were and they took them a while to get themselves organized there and hang them over there now. So school boards, Air Cadets, um, BCIT, uh, University of Fraser Valley. One of our airframes is over at the University of Fraser Valley facility at Abbotsford Airfield. And they were using it for uh, enrichment for their uh, trades program. Looking forward, we think we have to um, enhance that element. And that one of the airplanes at Fraser Valley is a historic item. It was the Lo a Lockheed Lodestar, which was operated by Air Canada to get over the mountains to serve BC. Hmm. So yes, it is historic and it's ours. But we haven't got anywhere to put it. I'll quickly tell you the story about our, our new site. We had a plan to use a patch of land immediately west of this airfield. We had an agreement with the township of Langley that we could use that piece of land for a dollar a year. Mm -hmm. We had agreement from the Agricultural Land Commission for our proposed land use because it's in the ALR. Next step was uh, getting a handle on uh, site development. Well, we have an agreement with fisheries and oceans on offsets from creeks. The piece of land got a lot smaller. 
And then we started looking at servicing costs for undergrounds, uh, roads, mm. and we reached a point where we concluded that the uh, residual size of the piece of land relative to our true needs against the servicing costs, uh, it didn't compute. Mm. It was not sensible to pour that much money into the ground for pieces of land that size. So we started looking for a bigger piece of land and kind of on short notice. Yeah. Uh, we have aspirations that if we can secure long-term tenure to a patch of land, and we think we can, uh, we're optimistic that we can secure the funds for a much higher standard and larger, more roof area facility than what we have now. But behind all that is, well, what are we here for? And it's not just static display of random old stuff. It's got to be telling stories. The stories have to be represented by airframes and uniforms and artifacts and books and mm -hmm. art. The whole nine yards. 